This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this July 31st, we welcome you to the show. It's Jesperson and John Hicks. In just a second, the Titan of Talk, Charles Adler. Oh, man. As I've been referring to him in our uh, social media post this morning, teenage talk host, although I always <laughs> want to call him a, a phenom. Yeah. Uh, Wyatt Sharp's going to join us. We're going to check in Love with Wyatt. Kid. He's like a, he's probably turned 15 by now, but a talk mm-hmm. show host. Uh, he's an independent, just like us, uh, host of the Wyatt Sharp show, which you can watch yeah. on YouTube. But uh, he's talking to, like the biggest players in American politics right now is, yeah. is uh, the most powerful nation on earth inches toward its you know, next presidential election, why it's interviewing basically all of those that would be president yeah. and doing a great job. I just, I just, I'm inspired every time we talk to him. So Me I'm looking too. forward to that. That'll be about halfway into today's episode. Just be careful, Wyatt, because it won't be long till he's skirting some of our interviews that we're going to need. We're going to have to. So be we get first dibs, okay, Wyatt? Head to head with him and, and all that kind of, yeah, well, maybe that's what we're doing is we're making sure we're all, we're all good with him so that when he's like 30 years old and owns the digital media landscape in we Canada, get Notley first. we're friendly. Yeah, he did. <laughs> do some Alberta election coverage. He did, yeah. He's based out of Ontario, so uh, we'll talk to him about that. And uh, a couple other stories to keep an eye on. It's it's the anniversary, July 31st. Mm-hmm. I know for a lot of people in our neck of the woods, the the uh, you know central and northern Alberta regions, uh, people, when they think July 31st, they think of Black Friday, uh, which is, of course, that uh, the tornado back in 1987, 36 years ago already. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I remember it clearly. I was living in Calgary at the time. I remember hearing about it. 27 people killed in a, in a massive uh, amount of property damage, um, heroism on display as, as people leapt into action. You, you don't often see, like to state the obvious, these massive storms like tornadoes like that touching down in urban centers. Mm-hmm. But when they do, uh, the destruction is is uh, unbelievable. Horrific is probably the word that better fits. Uh, it, it reminded me of, I, I mean, you know, less consequences. Let's say the Didsbury tornado from this summer uh, that was just a short while ago. But if you missed our conversation with Aaron J. Jack, he's a storm chaser. Uh, he joined us about two weeks ago, Johnny, um, talking to us about his experience. He had, had come up from Montana after watching this. What he does is he monitors like weather radar and satellite reports and stuff like that. And and when he sees, I guess, kind of a not a, he, can't, he can't guarantee anything, but like a recipe for something big like that EF4 tornado that touched down near Didsbury. Uh, a while ago, he hits the road and, and he took us into, you know, the, the life of a storm chaser and, and showed us some of the unbelievable footage that he captured right up close. Like you can see here, if you're watching us on YouTube, this was the, uh, remember he talked about that, the cameras that he has mounted on his Subaru. Mm-hmm. So as he's making his way toward, I saw him in action this weekend again, really uh, on his YouTube channel. You never know, like if he's on his way somewhere, he'll just stream he'll just live stream the road trip there and so you've got hundreds or sometimes thousands of people that are watching the live stream of him just on the highway making his way toward a storm uh but some some interesting insights the didsbury uh, tornado obviously very different than the one that hit edmonton or or for that matter years later the one that hit 
Pine Lake. Um, but but the uh, the science behind the storms was really interesting. And, and Aaron uh, brought us up to speed on that. You can uh, catch up on that episode if you haven't heard it already. Maybe you're on a road trip right now. Might be some interesting reading. And <laughs> what an interesting report out of Montana, too. Yeah, this is crazy. Can you imagine parents uh, of a missing girl, parents in Arizona, uh, their daughter went missing Four years ago, yeah, she was it's hard 15. to imagine what they must be experiencing right now, finding out that she's alive and, and, relatively speaking, alive and well. Now 18, found just 1,500 kilometers from her house. So she had originally written a note that uh, many thought was fake, which basically said, I run away, be back soon. It was like two sentences uh, back in the day. She was found. Uh, police in Montana also made an arrest. There, There's a man in custody. So we don't know too much, but just crazy. There was a Facebook group. They were looking for her forever. Uh, after a few years, you know, like a lot of missing children, you know, people thought the worst and kind of gave up. And then she walks into a police station. Yeah, she kind of self-reported. You wonder if she, uh, yeah. her name's Alicia Navarro, 18 years of age now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you wonder if, and we'll probably hear more details. Mm-hmm. Now is the type of situation where she's being evaluated by counselors. She's yeah. getting like the, the mental health wellness check, the physical wellness check. Uh, she'll she's be unharmed, they say. Her so. parents, uh, you know, when you say, and I know what you're saying. I know what you mean. Uh, you say, and a lot of people would have given up, whether they would have said it out loud or not. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are probably fearing the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, she for leaves sure. a note. She's gone. She's gone for you know who knows how long, but at least four years. Mm-hmm. But you bet the parents probably never gave up. Of course not. You know, it as would a never. parent, you'd have that kind of burning inside that, yeah. that maybe she's out there and if there's even a minuscule chance she's out there you're gonna find her a week before her uh 15th birthday she went missing they even had a podcast that you can go check it out uh called finding alicia so everyone was uh pretty elated that she's back but the details still coming out she's unharmed uh, she seems in good spirits, but uh, yeah, a man in custody. So we'll find out more this week. Her parents, uh, her mom's name, Jessica Nunez, uh, had uh, told the Republic down in um, in Arizona that uh, she suspected that her daughter might have been abducted by somebody that she met online while she was gaming. Mm-hmm. And um, this it reminded me of, of a conversation we had. I was just going to say that's a throwback to our yeah, social media safety episode. It was episode. just over a year ago, uh, and it was a couple of shows in a row. Uh, we talked to an RCMP officer that works with families on online safety, and they're the ones kind of getting ahead of all this. That that bit of policing, that calling, uh, you can imagine they're seeing some nasty stuff, some really ugly stuff. But, but boy, are we ever lucky to have... Uh, professionals that are willing to do that. But we talked to Anna Savage. Uh, This was on July 6th of last year. So 2022, you can find it in our podcast archive or on YouTube. And Anna Savage talks about how they intercepted. Their daughter was actually going to meet somebody. Yeah. And uh, her husband went instead. And it's a really wild story that she told us uh, on July 6th of last year. So you can check that out. Charles Adler coming up in 30 seconds. But we wanted to let you know that this episode of Real Talk is presented. Our presenting sponsor is We Know Training. You can find them online at weknowtraining.ca. It's not news to anybody as if we need to tell you that the cost of living has gone crazy. Stephanie Hughes, Bloomberg reporter, joining us last week. If inflation's on the way down, though, how come the Bank of Canada keeps cranking up interest rates? She helped us try to make sense of that one. Uh, But you know what else goes hand in hand with the cost of living on the rise? It's the cost of doing business. That's also going up, too. 
So if you're a business owner or a decision maker in a business, you need to boost your revenue. One of the best things that you can do is to create a standout training program. We know training is your best training partner for creating courses and programs that sell. They've helped associations, regulators, nonprofits, and more generate millions of dollars in revenue without any extra work for their teams in creating, managing, and selling those training courses. If you want to learn more, if you're intrigued, you can visit weknowtraining.ca today and see what they could do for your business. Every Monday, we're joined by legendary talk host Charles Adler, uh, who checks in from his home, I believe, in Manitoba. It's nice to see your face again, pal. How was your weekend? Got lots of homes. Uh, got lots of lots of places to land. The uh, people in this country have been very, very generous with me. Yeah. It's nice to see you. You uh, get up to anything special this weekend? Or are you kind of like in the dog days mentality? Yeah, yeah dog, dog, dog days of uh, summer. I prefer the winter. I know that people think that's crazy. How can, how can you prefer uh, nights of minus 30 with, with windshields of 300, you know, uh, windshields that, that, that put the tornado in Didsbury to shame? How can you look forward? I, 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 love, I love winter. And the fact that the days are shorter, that doesn't bother me because I live inside my head and doesn't matter how dark it is out there. It's, as you know, always sunny inside my mind. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, for the most part, anyway, some days partly cloudy, but you're human, Adler. You know, you're feel, human. Well, if I'm getting a little cloudy here because recording, uh, launching this news thing. I don't, I'm just experimenting with them. Every day is another experiment. I, I live in a laboratory. Yeah. And uh, so my, my latest experiment with, with podcasting and, and Twitter and, and what have you is, uh, People say, Chuck, why don't you do the news? For many years, you did the news. You did it differently than anyone else. You do everything differently than everyone else. So why don't you do a newscast? I said, well, you know, I don't have an attention span for these 10, 12, 14-minute newscasts. So I did a, I, I got it down to three minutes. I can, I can barely sustain a thought for three minutes. And so it's called Three Minutes That Matter. But one of the, one of the items that I didn't toss in, was the one you just picked up on the the, the the girl surfacing years later? Oh man, in Montana, I mean, that's a hell of a story. I mean, maybe I should re-record three minutes that matter because this one matters. Well, yeah, and this is just a story where we got details over the weekend. Alicia Navarro, I, I, you know, like Johnny and I were just saying, as a parent, you would never give up. And wow. uh, unfortunately, tragically, there are thousands of parents around the world that could relate to that. Every single day you wake up, you would wonder. Wow. Uh, you know, I can think of, of personal conversations, interviews I've had, uh, you know, a guy by the name of Ryan Stuka that went missing here in Alberta, went missing in BC, but but his mom, Heather, has, has never given up and will never give up. Up until either he's found alive or I hate to say it, he's, you know, they're able to find his remains and, and lay him to rest. But that's a nightmare that parents would experience. You can't even imagine what it would be like to, to perhaps in the back of your mind, you know, you'd want to be quashing that thought, the thought that maybe mm -hmm. she's gone, maybe Alicia's gone, maybe she was abducted and killed. You don't know. Uh, you, you, you would have every single morning or every single night, perhaps that thought would be there. And like a, like a whack-a-mole game as a parent, you would say, no, you would never give up hope. And I can't even imagine. Oh, you, can't, you, can't, you, you, you can't give up on, on an adult. You can't give up on a child. You can't give up hope on anyone. But I just see that picture of the, the adorable kid. Uh, my God. Uh, and, you know, and you were mentioning that it's, it's, it's possible that the person who had abducted her and someone abducted her, um, and, and is charged, I gather, uh, met the mother 
online during video gaming? Is well, no, they, they think that, that like none of this is confirmed, but there was a, there was okay. a man taken into custody over the weekend, uh, like undercover and, and, and uh, uniformed officers showed up at a residence in Montana and took away a guy yeah. in handcuffs. And so the mom had suspected that her daughter had met somebody online while gaming and then, you know, obviously wow. sort of fill in the dot, you know, connect the dots. Right. And, but, and, uh, and it's got to be the scariest thing, you know, kids, kids, kids being online. I mean, there's, there's no way that they know. There's no way that anyone knows who they're in touch with and, and what they may be up to. I know. And, and you don't want to be, you know, Carrie and I, my wife, Carrie and I were talking about that just this weekend, you know, like, yeah. you know, we'll sort of say like, you know, we're, we're out on a family walk or something and Wyatt wants to ride his bike. So he goes a block ahead and then circles around. We're like, where's Wyatt? Where's Wyatt? Yeah. And then I think back when I was growing up, let alone the generation before me, the generation before that, I mean, you know, we'd be gone at whatever time. I mean, in the summers, you know, we, we would disappear down into Calgary's Fish Creek Park, Chuck, that big provincial park in the middle of the city. What a gem down in Calgary that is. You know, we'd disappear 9, 10 in the morning. We'd be home at like 7 at night on our bikes. Yeah. No problem. Um, but now, I don't know. I mean, how, how do you let kids have a long enough leash to, to learn and to experience life while at the same time, you know, realizing if, if you're not cracking that leash, if you're not keeping it short enough, your kid yeah. goes missing at nine in the morning. You don't realize till seven at night. The bad guys have a 10 hour head start. I know I sound ridiculous, but no, no, you don't. You're, you're, you're discussing reality. Look, I, I'm not qualified to be a, a dad today because, you know, I mean, I've been trained by the, by the best uh, to put people in fear and, and borderline paranoia 24 seven. I know how to, how to do those things. And, and it gets into your head. And I know that knowing what I know about about the human condition, knowing certain things that most people don't even have access to, I would be in fear and paranoid twenty four seven about where the kid is. I mean, you know, the leash would be half an inch long. I want the kid with me all the time, which is which is no fun for Junior. Yeah, I do want to say that you know people are kind of quick to judge the police and say, oh, maybe they gave up. They followed up in four years over twelve hundred leads. Uh, they did a ton of work trying to find her. So the police never gave up on this girl as well. So. I'm always fascinated. Well, they, they never get they never get enough credit. I mean, I get accused of being you know pro police, pro police, but but it, it's it's part of you know what I know. I, I know a lot about what police do that never gets publicity at all. And they are some of the hardest working, most responsible human beings on earth. I realize that we got bad apples. We got bad apples everywhere. We got bad apples and barrels of of apples. I, I get that, but. I'm so glad, Johnny, that you you pointed that. You're always you're always coming in. I'm not being sarcastic here, but you're always coming in with extremely relevant data. The police work their asses off. Did you? Uh, I, I wasn't going to bring this up until later, but I mean, we're talking about cops. Did you see the story out of the Edmonton corn maze, Chuck? Uh, it's no. it's like an annual thing. Um, it, it's, oh, yeah. it's it's a no, family run operation. I did see that. Yeah. I did see so that, yeah. so, and I I don't. Again, I'm going to bring this up. I'm not going to. I don't want to like make light of some things, but you know, the Edmonton corn maze organizers are apologizing for a design that they put out there. And, you know, to be candid for a second, if if you're talking about a story in Alberta and somebody that owns or operates a corn maze is apologizing, you you expect that it says like, fuck Trudeau or something. Yeah, uh, those things, You know, yeah. some sort of like a big middle finger aimed at Ottawa or Quebec yeah. or something. No, but no, it's, uh, it's a corn maze that's commemorating 150 years of the RCMP. And the organizers of the Edmonton corn maze have issued an apology online after the design drew widespread uh, spread criticism, um, reads the apology, quote, we recognize our approach did not adequately take into account the hurt and harm 
that the RCMP's history has caused in different communities. We acknowledge such a portrayal may be perceived as insensitive and dismissive of these valid issues, and we are sorry. Um, I'm showing a picture of the corn maze on my screen right now. This is a photo of the uh, courtesy of the Edmonton Journal. Uh, it says 150 years, uh, you know, from 1873 to 2023, and it shows the outline of a Mountie saluting. Uh, it's all, of course, cut out of a cornfield. Your thoughts on the apology? Your thoughts on the the prompting of the apology? I, I, I don't understand what the complaint is about. I don't know why they would apologize. Clearly, these two are also, you know, people who have been working hard to, to put this together, uh, dedicated to the cops. I see no uh, hint of, of negativity, uh, sarcasm, disparagement of the RCMP. You want to talk about disparagement of the RCMP? You know, just go to provincial politics where Smith's people are trying to throw the Mounties out. Nobody there was uh, giving the finger to the Mounties. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, people, there there are legitimate, uh, very real uh, concerns, complaints, history, trauma related to policing in Canada, in particular uh, from indigenous people that are living in Canada. Obviously, the legacy, and that's not a compliment, of things like the Starlight Tours in, in Saskatoon and elsewhere. And there's been, I mean, there obviously through this nation's history, there's been atrocious treatment of its first peoples that has in many circumstances included uh, or been perpetrated by the RCMP. And, and that right. is a very real issue demanding the public's attention. And I think that more and more the public is paying attention to that. But I think generally speaking, uh, to suggest that you can't commemorate 150 years of policing in Canada, uh, men and women that have taken bullets and been hit by cars and tangled with online predators to keep children safe and the like. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not an apologist for police. We've had no, but it, it's, it's wide basic. ranging just... conversations here. But I, I got to be honest with you. And, and again, people are gonna say, "Oh, the privileged white male has this to say." But I will yeah, say I, I get, that apology yeah, I, really rubs me the wrong way. I, I get tired of putting everything through that filter, and I'm not going to put everything through that filter. And when people say, "Oh, he's gone progressive," I haven't gone that progressive because I don't do that. I don't. I don't sit here apologizing for the for the color of my skin. And as far as privilege is concerned, I, too, have worked my ass off all my life. So I'm not prepared to apologize for the fact that I have a strong work ethic and the color happens to be white. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. Uh, the RCMP and their proud history mentioned Montana in uh, two respects a few moments ago. I mentioned Montana because that's where the storm chasers from. Okay. Yeah. And you also mentioned Montana because of the, the, the child that, that has been found. Okay. Ask anybody to do any stats, any surveillance on the history of Montana versus the history of neighboring Alberta in terms of deaths, in terms of thefts, in terms of civilization, and any, any metric you want. And one of the reasons Alberta has been a far better place for most people and far safer for most people than Montana is because of the RCMP. So I, I think on, on this day, I'd rather salute them than diss them. Do they have problems with their history? Of course they do. Does Canada have problems with its history? There are some people that don't want to celebrate Canada on Canada Day because, you know, they're ashamed of Canada. I'm not ashamed of Canada. Yeah. I'm proud of Canada. It's, it's it, the Adler family's promised land and the promised land for the Jespersons and millions of other people. And I'm so sick and tired of constantly judging anything and anybody by their, by their worst moments. 
Um, fair points here online. We we welcome the feedback, uh, critical or or complimentary. Mariah Braun, filmmaker, love knowing that she's uh, checking. We got to get Mariah back on the show to Northern Alberta. Brilliant storyteller. Uh, she says, "I agree." It was an odd apology. Alyssa makes a fair point. Says it's not history. It's all still happening. Kathy says, "I can understand why people would be upset by it, but it's a private business. Nobody's forcing anybody to go there." Yeah, there are problems with the RCMP. We should still acknowledge the history. Uh, Alberta girl says, you know, police are the only thing that keeps us all safe. I thank them for, for their service every time I meet one. Yeah, like, you know, your home's getting broken in. You like you're not going to call the anyway, whatever. I don't want to oversimplify it and dismiss it. But I just I just to be honest, when I saw, you know, Edmonton Corn Maze apologizes, I just I audibly went, no, like I went, no. And then I immediately said, we're going to talk about this with Adler and sent myself a note on the phone. Um, also, Ryan, wanted to Ryan, talk- many, many people will testify to this and I'll be one of them. Okay. Uh, We've had our lives saved, not by hoods, not by cro- crooks, not by, by crack dealers, not by felons, but by cops. And so we owe our lives to cops. And as a community, and it's a community called Canada, we owe our lives, many of us do, to cops. So, so the idea of taking every single opportunity to take a whack at cops because of some of the negative aspects of their history. Sorry, that 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 doesn't work. And 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 but part of what I see as my role every single day, and I don't know if you see it see it the same way. I don't know if Johnny does, but I'll just speak for myself. Part of my role every day is to defend the great institutions in this country that have made this a great country. And we will decline as a nation if we decide to misjudge every single institution that is a guardrail of Canadian democracy if we do what some people would want to do to the RCMP, some of whom think that the the, the farmers need to apologize. Uh, Chuck, we, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, child luring. We're talking about online safety. Uh, You know, I I think probably the highest profile and most gut-wrenching example of of an abduction, of a a horrific killing of a parent's worst nightmare in Canada. You you mentioned the names Paul Bernardo, Carla Homolka. Uh, It invokes something uh, within Canadians, so much so that when the, you know, the recent move of, you know, acute or rather convicted uh, serial killer and rapist Paul Bernardo when he was moved to a to a lighter security situation. You look at this cabinet shuffle, liberal cabinet shuffle, uh, liberal shuffle last week, and and uh, Marco Mendicino, the, the minister that should have been in charge of that file uh, that wound up with egg all over his face. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know if you draw a direct line between that bungled situation and and him getting booted from his role. Uh, but that was one of the, I thought, the more significant moves that we saw last week from the prime minister, who's obviously retooling his team uh, for the next federal election. What were a couple of the storylines that jumped out at you uh, from the cabinet shuffle last week? I know it happens in summer, so not everybody's paying attention to it. The average person might not even care. Uh, what's a couple of the reasons why people should? Well, I, what jumped out at me, and you know, I don't apologize for this either. I'm an immigrant. I'm a a refugee, yes, it was a while ago, but that, that's what I am. Uh, this country threw its gates open uh, to, to my family and me. And so uh, Richie Valdez uh, sticks out to me. She's a young woman, a Filipina-Canadian woman, and it was obvious, you know, she's the first uh, Filipino uh, female in the uh, history of Canadian cabinets, and uh, she was in tears, and so was everyone around her watching this because it was genuine, authentic emotion that she was showing, not just for herself, but just so proud uh, of her fellow Filipinos. They now had the first ever Filipino-Canadian woman, Valdez, her name V-A-L-D-E-Z or Z, as they say, in neighboring uh, Montana. And uh, she is now a minister. 
Um, Anita Nand is one of the smartest ministers in the crew. I know we still have some people out there who are anti, uh, anti-vax, and they think that Anita Nand uh, was a person who did a great deal of disservice to this country by making sure that we got millions and millions and millions of doses of, of vaccine. We did much better than our neighbors to the states as far as uh, vaccination efficiency, vaccination efficacy, vaccination rates. And Anita Nanda deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, she's now part of what I think of as a very important job. It's not a sexy job. You say Treasury Board, people go, what's that? Well, Treasury Board involves money. Treasury Board involves taking a look at where there is waste. There's obviously waste. You've got the budgets of multi-billions of dollars. And Anita Nand has got the eyes of a hawk. And um, my hope is uh, that uh, she'll be instrumental in, 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 in making sure uh, that some of the bungling when it comes to spending billions of dollars is is taken care of. If anybody uh, can be a watchdog for that, it's Anita and not one of the, the smartest people to ever get into Canadian government. Well, and the, the PM's got obviously put his sharpest knives um, on you know, the files where he thinks that either the government's going to be most vulnerable or where he thinks the Canadians are going to place top priorities. Right. And so you see him keeping Christian Freeland, uh, you know, obviously one of their more prominent, most prominent cabinet ministers in finance. She doesn't get moved. Deputy PM finance ministry, get Anita Anand moving over there as well. So he's, he's sort of like creating that that bench strength there. And I think trying to send a pretty clear message to Canadians. I wondered, though, about the significance. I mean, you look at the, at the magnitude of the shuffle, and it was huge, yeah, like big huge. Bas- basically, you might describe it as, as almost a cleaning house or it's sort of like, you know, I mean, I, I was going to say a tornado rolled through, but the timing of that might be a daft comment. But, but basically, the question I think that it prompts when you have a cabinet shuffle that significant is, you know, are is this the PM? Is this the party leader trying to save his job at everybody else's expense? You know, the equivalent well, of know, an he, NHL general manager firing yeah. the head coach, all the scouts, and trading all three top lines. You know, well, it, just, it just means he's realistic. You know, he's he's uh, playing political poker all the time. Uh, he's got a hand, and uh, he's got a chance to get some new cards. Mm. And he wants he's looking at that hand. Goes, I need new cards. Yeah, that's what he did, and. uh and that's what he's paid to do. But I think in general, many people talk about things, including political things. Very few of what we call just real, ordinary, heart and soul Canadians uh, are talking cabinet shuffles. If you did a, a survey right now, the real talkers might be a little different, a little more focused on on, on political matters and the minutiae, the, the granular elements of sure. politics. But if you went out there just you know to the West Ed Mall and uh, asked people about the shuffle, they might not know what the hell you're talking about. I would suggest that, uh, quite frankly, my dear, nobody gives a damn. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when you bring in Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Hey, you know, people, like you said, real talkers are the most in- engaged and intelligent talk audience in the country. Yeah. They expect yeah. these types of things. Um, I- I'd like to to talk about the other side, the flip side, the official opposition, sure. recent polling, uh, and we're going to get into this later this week, yeah. we're going to talk to pollsters, um, shows that the conservatives are gaining ground virtually yeah. everywhere. I don't know if it's because yeah. Pierre Polyev lost his glasses or or if there's something else no, to I it. I, I, I don't think it has much to do with Polyev or the conservatives. I think it has really? to do with the fact that they, well, I just think the country's in a mood. Country's in a mood right now. They're in a nasty mood. You know, uh, when I'm out there, just like I say, uh, staying in touch with the real people, uh, when I see the real people, many of them at the grocery store, they're feeling uh, nasty. 
because they look at those prices. I don't care whether it's, uh, you know, plums or poultry, uh, bacon, eggs, uh, beef, you name it. Um, everything is is not just high, but way too high. And people have a strong memory of approximately what they were paying six months ago and a year ago and two years ago. And uh, inflation at the grocery store is very real. And they read about um, the grocery stores, which are, you know, in the hands of relatively few people. It's not like you've got a, a great big uh, competitive market, no different than, you know, the gas stations all charging the same price. And technically, they say they're not involved in price fixing. I don't want to get, get into the conversation. All I know is if prices is, is, is a buck fifty a, a liter at every single station, not, not just, you know, a buck 50, but a buck 50.3 at almost every single gas station in, in, in my neighborhood. Yeah. Unless you're buying uh, premium. Right. Yeah. A little more, but the a little point closer is to two prices, bucks. Right. But if the prices are all the same, right. Something, something just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't feel right. And when someone says it's a competitive market, uh, people just, you know, sneeze or, or vomit or something, but you, 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 you give up bodily fluids when you hear about the, the competition in the gas market. And you give up the same bodily fluids when you hear about competition in the food market. Yeah, you got different sales at different stores, but pretty much the prices are way too high uh, just about everywhere. And that's getting people because this goes on and on and on and on. And it's the major expense that people are looking at. Of course, they're looking at housing and they're looking at food. And in both cases, both those boxes check off badly for whoever is in charge yeah. right now. I and just, the uh, you know, are in charge, and so they're getting it right in the right in the molars. One, uh, one. Uh, first of all, you you want a freaking Emmy for your wordsmithing, but I never want to hear you talking about people giving up bodily fluids ever again. The the visuals <laughs> on this month, it's too early. A, the visuals, little too, little too early, little too visual. Okay, <laughs> but I I would encourage, and one of the reasons why we love having you, Chuck, and why you're our only recurring weekly guest is because people expect your Canadian common sense. And I would suggest a great conversation last week we had with Karim Veer Lau. Uh, he's been a conservative staffer at the provincial and federal uh, elections, but he's holding Mr. Poliev to a high standard. He's not working for the party right now. Young lawyer, sharp guy uh, says he wants to see pragmatic solutions. He, you know, he, and he, he described his version of conservatism that he wants to see. I want the average person to, to recognize that while cost of living is high, inflation is high. If we're going to be, you know, trusting a party or trusting a leader to tackle that head on may they actually have a plan what is the plan and that's something that people should ask every door knocker every pollster that calls them at home that's the question that we want answered before we run out of time i have to ask you about this story it was a developing story last week buried in the summer news cycle most people like you said care about the forecasts and the tea times and and, and who's bringing what to the campsite but uh, pierre poliev has confirmed that his leadership campaign as he was running for conservative leader paid the legal expenses about 35 grand a little more than 35 grand of uh, deborah jodouin who is the uh, whistleblower who essentially for all intents and purposes ended patrick brown's run uh he was hoping to be the next conservative leader but after she alleged that he had encouraged her to work for him despite the fact uh, that she was being paid elsewhere, which is a violation of law. Uh, he's denied it, by the way. But since that story came forward, Patrick Brown, obviously, I think, saw the writing on the wall, folded his tent. Pierre Poliev says that he will always support whistleblowers, says that uh, if and when he's prime minister, he will support whistleblowers no matter what. Is this no big deal or should more people care about this story? Well, you know, you talk about uh, common sense. I mean, it just it's it's an assault on, on, on my common sense and assault, assault on people who look at this, I mean, the the young woman uh, who became a whistleblower, uh, she accepted money from a 
third party, not directly from uh, the Brown uh, campaign, uh, from supporters uh, with, with money uh, of the Brown campaign. This happens, by the way, in politics all the time. And when when reporters or others pretend that this is, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle, uh, sorry, uh, there are there are people with with dough who support uh, certain uh, politics and certain political campaigns, and uh, they'll uh, sometimes take uh, one of their employees. Uh, keep them on the payroll while their employees are not doing what they generally do. They're now working for a political campaign. Wow, uh, I've really come up with a big scooperoo there. This goes on every single day at the federal level and the provincial level. And of course, it went on there. And so uh, the campaign that she was working for, the Brown campaign, was crashing and burning. And Polyev was going to be the winner. Not much doubt about that. Yeah, was there some time left? Technically, yeah. But Brown was going down as Polly uh, w- was rising. And so she decides to shift her loyalty from the Brown campaign to the Polyev campaign by giving him a great big juicy scandal burger. She's being paid by a third party. And that is against the rules. And of course, she needs legal assistance. And Polyev is only too happy to offer her the assistance. Polyev says it's not because of partisan gain. It's not because it allowed him to really put the final nail in Brown's coffin. It's because of this 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 higher principle that Polyev has. He, he he supports whistleblowers and will always support whistleblowers. People can watch this, listen to this, and make up their minds as to what really motivated Pierre Polyev to fork over thirty five thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of whistleblowers that have been in action over the past while, and I'd be curious to see where Pierre Polyev would land on all of them. I mean. You know, it's, it's, it's an American story, but it's relevant all around the world. You know, is, is, does he back Edward Snowden in the move that he pulled? I mean, I, I would be I would love for a journalist to ask him that question. Um, I'm sure he'd find a way to dodge it. But maybe this is part of this is part of that persona that he's developing. Right. You think of like where conservatives find their support typically. Um, and uh, Pierre Polyev is, is 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 trying to sort of like be, become or, or present himself as the man of the people. His his tagline that people should keep an eye out for the, the one that I keep seeing him uh, roll out. You know, I'm, I, I don't have friends on bay street i have friends on main street <laughs> right it, hey it rhymes it works it's memorable yeah. uh but, will but, the public buy it we'll see yeah but when, you know the thing is if if he was just espousing this principle of sporting whistleblowers he would have come forward pierre polyev would have come forward many months ago and said i was i you know i my my campaign gave her thirty five thousand dollars for legal fees to make this as easy as possible because we support whistleblowers and always support. Of course, that's not the way it happened. Um, a journalist discovered the story, uh, caught uh, Pierre uh, Polyev out. He was on his heels, and he did what people always do when they're spinning. No, no, no. I, I didn't. I didn't steal the loaf of bread. Uh, I believe in bread makers, and it's this this higher principle of believing in bread makers and wanting bread makers to get as much publicity as possible. That's why the bread was stolen. You can find Charles Adler uh, online. Follow him at Charles Adler, and of course, every Monday or the first show of every week right here only on Real Talk. It's great to see your face, pal. We will bake you a beautiful croissant every single Monday. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I actually spent some time on Instagram watching people roll croissants just the other day. Fascinating science it is. Have you ever seen somebody <laughs> roll like roll out like with the you know the bread roller, the bread, and then actually roll a croissant? I think it's funny you're talking about this because I've been looking at a lot of baking lately, and yeah. I, ju- I just saw another thing about how you're supposed to eat a cinnamon bun. How are you supposed to eat a cinnamon bun? So you can grab it as quickly the, as possible. No, you're not like usually I cut into it. I eat it with a knife and fork because it's usually got all that stuff on it. It's all sticky and yeah, wet yeah. And, and hot. But you can pluck like with tongs or a fork the middle of it 
and pull straight up and it comes out like a big noodle and you just eat it like a big noodle <laughs> and it, you just keep eating and eating like like lady in the oh. tramp till you get to the end it's crazy oh now you are talking <laughs> my language I've, i'll play the video tomorrow it's insane okay yeah. coming up uh in a couple of minutes johnny's review because when you, you talk cinnamon buns i'm thinking freezing brothers and we got to get your review oh of the vegan gosh. feast in just a second but but i want to get to this live chat um you know we we love uh of course you our audience are such a huge part of this show and so we appreciate your comments justin uh on the rcmp file says i don't know he says i think it's long past time that the rcmp reckons with its history and a lot of the issues that are still ongoing with the institution and policing as a whole uh justin 100 percent and he says uh, the Edmonton police budget keeps ballooning police budgets keep ballooning all over the place and you look at the posturing and the politics behind it uh very fair uh very fair comment uh, and Erica, in response to uh, Charles uh, mentioning Canada's new Minister of Small Business post-cabinet shuffle, uh, the Honorable Rishi Valdez uh, out of Mississauga Streetsville, um, and I, I appreciate this comment as well, says, um, you know, these, these, these first ever, Erica says, these first ever moments, you know, the, the first ever person of color in this job, the first ever woman, the first ever Muslim mayor of Calgary, the first, ever, you know, says these are great. Uh, but what would be even better is a world where we don't need any more first ever moments uh, because everybody truly has equal opportunity. Erica, um, you're bang on. And uh, what was it? Was it? Was it? Uh, it must have been Mayor Gondek down in Calgary. I think it was. But I remember an interview I did like within the last year or so. Uh, it's happened a couple of times where you start with that intro. You know, the fir- she's the first ever whatever, or he's the first, and then you go. This person has got to be so sick of hearing. Like, there's got to be some uh, feeling of of pride, uh, some sense of accomplishment. But, but again, like you said, Erica, like enough, you know. And also, somebody doesn't necessarily just want to be characterized as that. You know what I mean? They're more than that. Uh, sometimes, you know, something as simple as a one or two sentence introduction, uh, how you introduce somebody to a show or to an audience is big. I'm already thinking ahead, Johnny. How do I introduce Wyatt Sharp? Maybe we'll ask him. You know, he's joining us in just a few seconds, host of the Wyatt Sharp show. Does he get sick and tired of people pointing out all the time how young he is? Does he want, he deserves and demands to be taken seriously. Obviously, he's doing very serious work. Uh, does, does it kind of like come across as like we're patting him on the head that he's just this teenager doing it. But at the same time, it's relevant. It is relevant that most kids at 15 years of age are, well, I mean, there's fine upstanding citizens, but, but a lot of them, if you're like me, there's a lot of buffoonery at 15 and it's remarkable what he's doing. So, so you might argue that his age is relevant. We'll ask him in just a second. So over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, our friends at Friesen Brothers in South Edmonton presented the Vegan Feast. This is a still family-owned institution Mm -hmm. in Alberta, most known, uh, Friesen Brothers, with with its humble beginnings in Hinton, Alberta, as a butcher shop. Yeah. But but their commitment to... Everybody. to, to everybody on display this weekend. How was it? It was incredible. And, you know, they had it on Saturday. We went Sunday. We we said, you know, what? we're going to be there right at 4 p.m. We're going to get ahead of the line. We're going to get all the fresh food. We're going to be in there, man. We're going to be smart. And look at this. Boom. We get there. Line up. And it was almost out the door. Is that right? So many people, plant-based and not plant-based alike, there to to indulge in some of the delicacies. You grab a plate, you go to the front. They had some nice people, uh, you know, kind of yelling through the line. This is what you do, and this is how you get seconds. Uh, a, a nice shot here of the vegan lasagna, which was Ooh. absolutely incredible. I don't know what kind of meat they had in it. It, it tasted like the impossible meat because it was so. It 
tasted like ground beef. You had the cowboy baked beans, which was sauce. But look at it. It was already, things were already like, and we're there at 358, <laughs> and things are already getting slim, but they kept filling them back up, and we went through the line. It was great. They had shepherd's pie. They had chicken fingers, and of course, they had the garlic bread, and then we get to the end, and what do we see for the first time ever in a Freezing Bros? What? Vegan cinnamon buns there you there go pal. they are there the you sticky go ones they were incredible we uh we got ourselves a couple brews there from which was right at the end of the line yeah, they're also, licensed yeah, right they've got taps right there for you and we sat down it was absolutely incredible and a big shout out to their head of produce of course he was there and we took a nice photo before the end he oh, is kind of the inspiration for all of this because he uh was actually getting some people pinging him being like hey you should you should do more vegan items he says Screw it. We'll just do a huge buffet. That's great. And, you know, obviously it was super successful. Now he knows maybe there's some more items they can bring in. But, like, what other grocery stores are doing this? None. Testing the waters, seeing what people really want. And from, like you said, everywhere, people who love, you know, you know, farm-raised beef and butcher shops, but also people who are who are on the other end of the spectrum. They're, they're doing it for everyone. 100%. Something for everybody. 16 locations across Alberta. Great first-hand report, pal. Very well done. We also wanted to give a shout out to our friends at the uh, Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Circle your calendar for August 10th. It's coming up in less than two weeks. It's the annual Miracle Treat Day. Um, locally speaking with our locations are the family-owned ones at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road. When I say our locations, I have exactly zero ownership of these locations, <laughs> but I feel like they're ours. They feel like our home locations. Uh, they donate to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation through Miracle Treat. And, and have done so to the tune of seven figures over the years. Unbelievable stuff. You can, of course, visit those locations on August 10th. Pick up a blizzard with all proceeds, not profits, all proceeds going to the stallery. Or, even better, pop in or give them a call ahead of time and order like a whole tray of blizzards. Drop them off for your neighbors, your friends, the kids at the park, whatever it is. Uh, the more the merrier, the more funds raised for the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. It's Miracle Treat Day. The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park coming up on August 10th. Also wanted to mention, it's that time of summer. You were kind of like halfway through, you know, make the most out of every single day. But you're starting to think ahead to the fall, right? Some of us anyway. And maybe what your post-secondary plan might look like. If you're hung up on the commute, if you're hung up on the sort of the rigid nature of a lot of the post-secondary institution schedules, you're going to want to check out athabasketu.ca right now. It's Canada's open university with tens of thousands of students across the country drawn to AU in part because of the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Of course, you're only commute to your device, right? So that makes it totally convenient. If you think studying online with AU might be right for you, explore their wide variety of distance learning programs and courses. You can try a single course to get a feel for it or jump into a full program. The choice is yours at AthabascaU.ca. Also wanted to, oh man, this rain over the weekend, it was like some pretty heavy stuff. All of a sudden I heard our sump pump fire up Crazy in the basement. Again. I went, oh man, as soon as the sump pump starts going, you know, you're like right there. It's right at that level. If unfortunately you're dealing right now, I could be speaking to one person in particular with flood damage. Maybe it's fire damage from, from earlier this season, although some of those fires flaring up again, those wildfires. If your family's looking to bounce back, you got to get your business rebuilt. Number one, we're thinking of you. Number two... The best move you can make is to check out CompleteCareRestoration.ca. 
Uh, this is the team that built our studio. We have seen them work. We have firsthand experience. We don't give our two thumbs up to just anybody, but we give two thumbs up to Complete Care Restoration. If you're looking to get back on your feet after fire, flood, mold, asbestos, or otherwise, give them a call at 780-454-0776. Let's ask Wyatt Sharp how he feels about being introduced as teenage talk show host. He's, He's the host of the Wyatt Sharp Show. You can find him on YouTube and a wonderful friend of this show. Uh, just look at this. Like he's got the press shirt, the tied tie. Wyatt, I'm wearing like casual basketball kicks and a loose t-shirt this morning, but you bring it every single day. How you doing, pal? How's your summer been? Good. How about you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Uh, let me ask you the question. Do you get sick of the fact when people point out, people say, you know, he's, he's 15 years old. He's got his own talk. So he call you a phenom, a teenage talk host, or is, is that just part of the deal? Part of the package? We're just speaking facts. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think it's kind of like um, it'd be different if like when I'm older, people introduce me as like 55 year old Wyatt Sharp or what have you. But um, when I'm 14, I mean, it's kind of the most obvious thing about me. If someone turns on a TV screen or turns on my show or, or what have you, that's kind of the most obvious thing is I'm, you know, 14. I'm a lot younger than than what most people would expect to see when they turn some sort of something that I'm doing on on TV or, or what have you. Yeah, well, you you are uh, raising the bar, my friend, which is uh, saying a lot because you, you've already secured. In, I mean, you, you you know, people can check out the Wyatt Sharp show on YouTube and, and they'll see your, you know, your one on ones, your sit downs with every major politician in the country, uh, including the prime minister. And now you've turned your attention stateside and my man you're securing interviews with like the the biggest players in u.s politics right now take us into number one why you're doing this why do you care about what's going on in the united states yeah well certainly i'm still maintaining a certain level of canadian coverage as well but um you know at a time when the canadian news environment is you know moving fairly quickly so is the american news environment and what's happening in the u.s as we saw over the course of the um, Trump administration, most definitely had a very big impact on what happens in Canada, you know, with trade deals and what have you. Uh, Many people feel it's obviously had a negative impact. Um, And so when you look at that, it's obviously with some of the candidates, including Donald Trump running again for the Republican nomination in 2024, that that's going to have um, a huge impact on Canada, e- even if, you know, say it's not him that gets the Republican nomination. And if it's one of the other candidates who are in the running, most of them are still adopting a Trump-like campaign style and, and not really offering too much of their own ideas. Um, and, and so Donald Trump, we know, has, has spread a lot of, um, misinformation. Some people would say as it relates to, um, things that he did over the course of his administration in the ending of his administration on, um, claiming that the 2020 election was not fair. Um, and, and those are some of the lies that, that I've been examining on my show as of recently, uh, with some of the candidates. And I interviewed, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running for president just last week on my show who's been a, a heavy supporter of, of uh, Donald Trump. And I asked him, I said, how can you support someone who has has claimed that a democratic election was stolen? Uh, something that has absolutely no evidence when people are making those claims. So certainly it's been interesting. Yeah. Well, what did you make of that conversation with him, by the way? Uh, limited, I mean, almost no political experience, but uh, Americans are becoming more and more familiar with him, certainly. Yeah, um, he talks a lot about these things, as do many Republicans. I mean, you hear Florida Governor Ron DeSantis talking about this a lot as well, talking about the term woke, 
Um, so I just asked him, I said, how do you define the word? Because when you look up the word woke, um, it, it literally just means being aware of racial discrimination, which if you're using that in a negative context, seems kind of strange to me. I mean, I would think everyone would want to be aware of racial discrimination. So I asked him, I said, why make your whole campaign around this? Um, I mean, I, I said to him, I said, I, I assume you're not you know, doing it to to portray a negative message per se. But um, and then he went on and he said that, you know, he defines it differently. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I asked him about some of his ideas as well. He very um, strangely, many people would argue, wants to raise the voting age to 25 in the United States, which I thought was odd. And I asked him, I said, um, you know, with all of the people, his reasoning for doing it, he said, was because people ages 18 to 25 are not civically engaged. Um, so I asked him, I said, how is raising the voting age going to make them civically engaged more? That would only contribute to that problem. And then, and furthermore, I said to him, I said, you know, with all of the um, political discourse happening, many elderly people, many people, adults, they they aren't civically engaged either. So how does that kind of solve that problem? So there was a lot of interesting insights. Well, that, and what did he say? Um, what did he tell you? And did you buy it? Well, basically, he 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 said that he he partially agrees with that argument in the sense of yes, it's not just younger people who need to be more civically engaged. Um, but his argument was that he wants to start somewhere and he chooses young people um, to start with. But I don't necessarily think that's that's true because by by starting people voting at the age of eighteen, that's more likely to kind of develop that pattern for the remainder of their life. Whereas if you wait until you're twenty five. You know, you've already developed those types of habits. And, and so I feel like it could potentially contribute to that problem more than perhaps he believes. We've seen some initiatives go in the opposite direction. They, they, they don't really get off the ground, let alone take flight. But some have suggested the voting age in Canada should be lowered uh, to 16. I don't want to assume that you would support that initiative, would you? I mean, I've certainly had like um, there's an organization called Vote 16 before that's asked me to do some work with them. Um, I mean, I, I think the age of 18 has, you know, it's been that for a long time. I think it could stay that and, and we would be fine. Um, many people make the argument that, you know, a 16 year old is contributing to society. Many of them have uh, a job already. Um, so, I mean, I, I do see, you know, the positives to doing it. Um, many people, you know, can bring up the negative aspect as well. Like you, you know, you, you don't have a ton of life experience. Um, but certainly, I mean, I, I think that there's, there wouldn't be a lot to lose by doing it. But again, it's, it's an issue of can it be done? There was an NDP MP in Canada, Taylor Backrack, who tried to do it. Uh, I think it was Bill uh, 216, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And so he tried to do it. It, it wasn't successful. Um, but at the age of 18, certainly a lot better than 25, as some people in the U.S. are proposing. Yeah, well, congrats on your on your interview with Vivek Ramaswamy. I saw the numbers on it. Uh, thousands and thousands <laughs> of people checked it out. That's got to feel good, pal. When you work hard on a booking like that, you secure the interview and then it really catches on. Would, would you give us a peek behind the curtain on, on how that lands with you when you see big numbers? pouring in well yes yeah, certainly it feels nice especially i've been trying to get that interview since like march and it yeah. just wasn't working out which i mean um it, his campaign talked a lot about being accessible to any media that wants to talk with him and i had interviewed before i interviewed him several of the other candidates i interviewed asa hutchinson the former governor of arkansas who sent a message to his campaign and asked to interview him and then they really didn't give me any feedback. And then they got to a point where they were saying, you know, if you come to one of our events, 
then then we can absolutely make it work. So they wanted me to like go to Iowa or New Hampshire to do the interview, which I was almost considering because I knew that if I did an interview with him, it probably would get a, a large number of views. Um, and then they agreed to doing it virtual like they've done with many other outlets. So that was exciting uh, to to finally confirm it. But um, yeah, so I mean, I, it, it was confirmed on Wednesday and then I did the interview on Thursday. Um, but but he certainly I mean, he he's in some cases polling second behind former President Donald Trump, which is interesting to me because in many ways they're the exact same politician. They, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't criticize Donald Trump really at all. Um, even when I asked him, you know, do you condemn the election lie, for example, he didn't really want to talk much about that. Well, yeah, and ask, you know, Ted Cruz or Chris Christie or anybody else about what happens to people that cozy up to or don't go for the jugular on Donald Trump. He'll find out soon enough. The guy will absolutely eat him for lunch. Um, one of the stories that people are paying attention to on the, the Democrat side, although I don't I mean, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But but RFK Jr., um, you know, you could say, I mean, he's you know mounting a challenge to to Joe Biden. He wants to be the next Democratic president. People are wondering if he's a Republican plant. He's obviously, um, I would say, definitively known as a conspiracy theorist and, and someone who's been lying about a whole bunch of things. He's been criticized for what's described as anti-Semitic comments. Uh, you spoke to a former Secret Service agent about RFK Jr. Tell us about this conversation with with Marino. Yeah, so basically RFK Jr. claims that he deserves to have Secret Service protection, which is something that none of the other candidates have, excluding the current president, and the current president has it for obvious reasons. Um, so RFK Jr. Felt, feels that he wants Secret Service, but my conversation with Charles Marino, uh, he essentially asked, uh, or I asked him whether or not this was necessary. Does he think that there should be Secret Service protection? And I mean, his answer to that was basically saying the only reason Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wants Secret Service protection is so that he doesn't have to pay for private security. He mentioned that oftentimes for presidential candidates, Secret Service protection can range anywhere from $250,000 to a million dollars per day. So after I heard some of those figures, it became obvious to me why he wanted Secret Service protection. Um, and I'm sure if any of the other presidential candidates were offered Secret Service protection, then they would have probably accepted it as well, as opposed to paying that large sum of money on a daily basis. Yeah, no kidding. Um, can I ask you a question about the logistics of how your show works? You say you're, can you go, yeah, I would consider maybe hitting a you know polit politician's campaign stop in Iowa or New Hampshire, but hit the road. Practically speaking, how you do that? People, people should follow you on Twitter at Wyatt Sharp Eight. I love your photos, man. You're down on like Capitol Hill, uh, you know, posing on the set of CNN. You're talking to Fox News. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. What you're? Do you have a? You, you obviously have a team of supporters. Uh, I'm assuming that maybe that's family members. How does this work logistically? Do you have a Patreon? Uh, tell us how the machine operates at the Wyatt Sharp Show. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I actually just started a Patreon the other day for for reasons similar Good. to this. I, some people had suggested I start one, but um, I've I've been able to you know look into the idea of sponsors as well. So I've gotten for occasional episodes. Like one time, I had a, a real estate agent sponsor an episode of my show. Um, so so certainly things like that, and then oftentimes I'll do like um, speaking engagements. So that helps as well. And and I put that money. I like to kind of reinvest the money back into my show to being able to to keep doing these interviews with people. And and by reinvesting it, you know maybe it's a new piece of camera equipment, or maybe it's you know investing money in in a trip to go somewhere to do these types of interviews. So 
Um, so certainly it can be a little bit challenging. I mean, I certainly don't have the, you know, multi-million dollar resources that, you know, CNN or Fox News or what have you uh, would have access to themselves. Um, but I, I, I try and make it work based off of what I have, most certainly. Well, you're killing it, man. And, uh, you know, it's it's been amazing to see what you're doing and the quality uh, with which you do it. Do you, do you get credit for this in, in, in like your, your high school classes? Like when you show up to class in September, do you get uh, what's that called when you can like substitute something in for for going to a class? Do you get the credits or is this just all extracurricular? It's, it's interesting. My, my great eight teacher last year suggested to me like in, inquiring about about something in the realm of that. But even if it's not a possibility, I, I think that it's still just a, a cool extracurricular thing to do every night. I, I mean, I like to try and do at least one interview per day and then and then post it on a topic that's related to the news of the day. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but maybe that's a possibility. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like school is your extracurricular activity in the show. <laughs> the show is number one. Uh, what's a, what's before we let you go, Wyatt, and, and thank you for your time. What's a story you're keeping an eye on, 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 on home soil, so to speak. What's a, what's a Canadian political story you're watching? Well, I was really interested in the cabinet shuffle, um, that obviously happened recently, um, and, and certainly I was more interested in some of the people that were gone from cabinet, like, you know, the Marco Mendicinos of the world that was kind of expected that he was going to be leaving cabinet. Um, but I was more so surprised with like David Lametti, Mona Fortier and them leaving cabinet. I mean, I, I have said before on other programs as well that like, I don't necessarily think you have to read too much into that because for all we know, there was, you know, private exchanges where, you know, they asked to be, you know, not have a cabinet portfolio for family reasons or what have you. Um, so, but certainly that's interesting. And then additionally, in Ontario politics, there were a few by-elections that happened recently. Ontario is where I'm from. Um, and so there were um, the Liberals won both of the by-elections and, and one of them was a writing that they haven't held for a really long time. So that's interesting given that the Liberals have been very unpopular um, in the province over the course of, of the past number of years, really, ever since former Premier Kathleen Wynne lost in 2018. But it seems like they could be making a comeback. Uh, what's one of the silly and even dumb things that you've done this summer or have planned before the end of the summer that has nothing to do with political commentary or putting a show together? Yeah, I we have a, a trailer up, up north in Ontario, so I go tubing, kneeboarding, oh, nice. all the rest of it, which... Um, that sometimes they joke at all the people that, you know, have trailers next to us and stuff. They say, you need to put this as, as an episode of your show, a video of you on, on a tube or a kneeboard or yeah, something. Man. But show everybody another side of you. That'd, that'd <laughs> be great. Hey, Wyatt, uh, it's, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And, and, uh, we want to let people know that, that you and I stay in touch with each other behind the scenes and, and keep an eye on what we're doing. And I like to think of it as iron sharpening iron and, uh, keep up the great work, pal. Know that we're watching everything you do. Thanks so much. You too. You got it, buddy. Uh, I want to encourage real talkers to go ahead and subscribe to the Wyatt Sharp show on YouTube. That sounded a little creepy at the end. I'm like, we're watching everything you do. We're watching We're you. We're watching you, but he's landing these <laughs> huge interviews and yeah. uh, and asking legit questions, right? Oh, which, yeah. Which is great. And I think that someone like Wyatt, you know, 14 years old, I, I asked him about his high school classes. He's not even in high school. Mm. Um, and, and uh, you know, he's, he's, he's talking about these questions that he's putting in front of these candidates, challenging them on invoking the word woke, mm -hmm. which, you know, what a 
polarizing word. Yeah, for a young kid to ask someone that he's up front now, like on behalf of a generation, though. Do you know what I mean? Think about the digging he'll be doing when he's in his twenties, yeah, thirties. But he brings this perspective of young people that'll Mm -hmm. go like you look at and across the board. I mean, here's here's a can to open, but but if you want to talk, you know, who has the most problem with someone's pronouns, for example. It's not young people. No. Young people don't care about that no. stuff. They don't care about it at all. And the, uh, it's, it's it's older people that take great issue with it that are sort of like more steadfast and set in our ways. And, uh, and I think it's so important to have uh, a young voice like that at the table, competent, credible, mm-hmm. going, ch- challenging people. Yeah. Are, asking, What's the big deal? And like woke isn't a bad thing to young people. Woke, you know, in the time of like early 2000s, mid 2000s, woke was like, meant you were aware you were up on things you were in the know you were like progressive you were this and that and they've totally flipped it upside down now and used it as a negative connotation it's horrible yeah you can i mean almost like make uh make any word a slur of course you can you know i love donna says the juxtaposition of ryan in his t-shirt and wyatt in his suit (laughs) it's so true it's so true We, we, we wrestle with this donna though because we have weeks where we're like okay let's do suit and tie let's do this it and, depends you know, who's in studio. Up our shirts, and, and then some days we're like, should we just be casual every day? So it's like it's summer. We're you know, chill, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah, uh, Tracy says woke is only polarizing for the far right. Um, said I loved seeing it at Disney and uh, seeing it used by Eminem candy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's that whole idea of go woke, go broke. Um, I guarantee the story. One of the stories that we talked about with Adler earlier today, though, the, the corn maze and apologizing for, you know, for the RCMP thing. And you'll hear people say, hey, business, you know, careful, go woke, go broke. Right. That's something that people talk about as well. So um, happy to talk Disney's about it here with you. Okay. Disney's going to do all right. <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the day, you want to see who will be left standing at the end of the day. If it's yeah. Ron DeSantis or Disney. Disney, my money is on Disney. Mickey Mouse every time. Don't bet against Mickey Mouse. <laughs> it's not a smart move. Mickey hasn't lost a lot of fights uh, in the courtroom anyway. No. Um, yeah. Uh, these conversations are presented by Real Talk sponsors. And by, by the way, don't go anywhere because the positive reflection today is going to blow your mind. An incredible survival story. Uh, but we wanted to let you know we don't shy away from facts on this show. In fact, we pursue them. And that includes the fact that oil sands operations contribute significant carbon emissions in Canada. So... The six largest companies are working together and with governments to take strides on the path to net zero from their operations. And part of that plan includes developing a proposed carbon capture and storage network by 2030. It's going to be one of the world's largest. If you want to learn more about this, you can check out the details at pathwaysalliance.ca. If that caught your attention because you're working in the energy industry, maybe you're a professional engineer, you love the calling you're proud to have your png but you're not fulfilled with where you're at right now you don't feel challenged you don't feel appreciated you maybe don't feel like the future is even bright at your firm take two seconds today to check out apexautomation.ca canada's fastest growing automation firm and they're doing a ton of work uh, across industry uh, you could be interested in working for example in advanced process controls or maybe remote terminal units Maybe the future of autonomous vehicles and machinery has caught your eye or human machine interfaces. These are just a few of the examples that Apex Automation works on. Their team proudly headquartered in Alberta, but working across the Western provinces, down into Texas and beyond. They're looking for engineers across. I mean, we're talking electrical, instrumentation, computer science, mechanical, 
You get the idea. Check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. Uh, man, it's an exciting time for our family as our backyard is being reinvented. This is something that we made the decision to invest in. We waited till the time was right, waited till we could afford it, quite frankly. And the team at Eden Landscaping is doing a remarkable job. We're watching it work day by day as they bring our vision to life. We can't wait to show you the finished product. It's not too late to get Eden Landscaping on your project, but you're going to want to start the conversation now so they can have shovels in the ground before the leaves start to fall, landscapeedmonton.ca is where you'll find them. You can check out their portfolio, learn more about the services they provide, and of course, the consultation's always free with Eden Landscaping, a proud partner of Real Talk. Man, was Trash Talk fired up on Friday. You know you can check out Trash Talk episodes as standalones on our YouTube channel. You want just like three minutes of a real talker typing with a blowtorch? You can find them where you find Real Talk on YouTube. That's presented every week by our friends at Local Environmental Services who are putting out the call to decision makers everywhere. Whether you work for a municipality in Alberta and Saskatchewan or a big or small business, obviously you're paying attention to your bottom line. Whether it's water hauling fences, portable toilets, or, or bins themselves for waste or recycling collection, you can get a free quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Make a wise decision for your business and your community with Local Environmental Services. Well, this story, the minute that we saw it, we knew that it would be a fit for this weekly tradition here on Real Talk. Tom Hanks is all I'm going to say. This is Tom Hanks. Castaway. In real life. (laughs) Every single Monday, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, you can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. They give us uh, a reason to just like fill our spirits, and this story is impossible not to love. This is a tradition we call Positive Reflections. Uh, We're, in just a second, going to play a video, uh, a fellow by the name of Timothy Shattuck. He's 54 years of age, okay? Okay, um, he, he's an Australian sailor, and uh, he was basically adrift at sea for three months, and that was not part of the plan. A big storm had knocked out some of his capabilities, including all of his communications, uh, and it was three months not knowing if he was ever going to make it home. You can imagine. I mean, this is one of my worst nightmares, being out in the middle of the Just freaking ocean, yeah. completely immobilized. Yeah. Uh, and you love your dog too, so you're not caring just for one living being on board. You're caring for two of them. Yeah. So this guy's collecting. We'll get to more details after we hear from him. But he's a collecting rainwater. He's eating raw fish. I mean, this guy was on a mission to see every morning after the morning he just saw, and a Mexican fishing boat, a Mexican boat out looking for tuna, comes across this guy. They pull up to him, and well, I mean, this just speaks for itself. I'm just so grateful. Uh, I'm, I, I'm alive, and uh, and uh, I didn't really didn't think I'd make it, you know. So we're seeing here the moments he's rescued. Yeah. How are you doing? Are you okay? All right. My name is Andres. We need to know if you have if you have any drugs or weapons on board. No, I have no, no drugs or weapons. Are you sure? I'm sure, yeah, yeah. You could check everything. I, I feel, feel really good. I, I, I've been struggling to sort, you know, the health was, was pretty bad for a while. I was pretty hungry and 
um, and I, I didn't think I'd make it through the, the storm, but now I'm really doing good. She's, she's amazing. Yeah, that, that dog is, is something else. She's a beautiful animal. I, I'm just grateful she's alive, you know. I did enjoy being at sea. I, I, you know, I, I enjoy being out there. But when things get tough out there, uh, you know, you have to survive. And, um, and then when you get saved, you, you, you feel like you, you want to live. So I'm very grateful. Absolutely unbelievable. That interview, courtesy of The Guardian. So he was honest. He said he got to a point where he didn't think he was going to make it. I mean, wouldn't anyone? You know? <laughs> it's just... And you know, his, his dog, by the way, Bella, so he actually found her in Mexico. He said that he said that he's from Australia, but he said that she just started following him around and they kind of had this connection. Yeah. And uh, she's wondering what the hell she got herself into, obviously, about a month into this. <laughs> So he had left. This was back in April. Uh, Mexico's Baja Peninsula. He was crossing the Pacific, intending to reach French Polynesia. But that's when that storm hit. And uh, just absolutely unbelievable. You can imagine what it was like on that tuna boat, on that fishing boat when they saw him out there. Obviously, somebody had the wherewithal to start recording the video. They must have known that they were onto something big. Extra emotional when you're looking at an animal and you're wondering, like, do I eat or do I let this animal eat or do I? No kidding. Unbelievable stuff. So, so here you have it on, on, as we say, the top and the tail of today's shows, stories, people who never gave up. If you have a positive reflection you think would be a perfect fit for this show, send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You could see it featured on a future Monday right here, presented by Kubi Renewable Energy. We wanted to let you know as we sign off and say thanks for tuning in that. Today is the last day to get in applications for the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. It's really simple to do. You'd be up against the clock to get the application done today, but it's not impossible. This is for post-secondary students in Canada that have lost a parent to cancer. We have $5,000 in funding support available. You can learn details at ryanjesperson.com slash scholarship in memory of our dear friend, Julie Rohr. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Dubetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.